You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. We exist to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. Welcome into another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. We are glad to have you with us. My name is Scott Inman, along with me, Janet Walker, today as we get ready to answer your questions, as always, on the show. If you have one, all you have to do is call or text them to us at 501-381-5228. Remember that number. It's 501-381-5228. You can leave a voicemail or you can just text the question to that number to hear your questions answered on the air. You can also send us an email. Just send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. We've got some good ones today, Janet, and it's hard to believe. I just have to, I always think about the date when we record this show, and I know depending on the platform that you get our program on, it may not be the date that we're recording it, but it's November 15th. We are a month and a half away from the end of 2024. That's hard to believe. You have your Christmas shopping done, right? I haven't even started my Christmas shopping. (laughs) But but you know what? If you ask me that last November 15th, that would have been the answer to that question, too. It's always the answer. How about you? I I have a good bit of it done. That's awesome. I do. do. So it is good to spread it out. You know, back to the financial talk, right? right? It's good to spread it out. I'm going to be cramming my You're going to diversify. Yes. Yes. Maybe you're not diversifying the days that you're shopping. You're going to have it all in one boat. I I, I am last minute. I'm not a procrastinator financially, but I am a procrastinator when it comes to Christmas shopping for sure. But yeah, it's hard to believe we're even talking about that. Uh, we're, we're on quite a rally in the stock market this week. Inflation data came in earlier in the week and was cooler than expected. So maybe we're off to a Santa Claus rally, as they like to yes. call it, uh, in the stock market. But we're not here to talk about the economy as much as we are here to talk about your economy. So let's dive into the questions. First up today, it's from Jesse in Benton. And Jesse writes, does it hinder my return potential if I'm investing in target date funds in my 401k instead of using different ETFs or mutual funds? Jesse, thanks for the question. We've talked about target date funds before on the show, but obviously if you didn't listen for our listeners out there, we want to start by defining what that is. And they've become very popular probably over the last decade to two decades in 401k uh, programs. And, And really it's because of the simplicity of them. Generally, if you know what a target date fund is, you're going to, or if you don't know what a target date fund is, you're going to know when I talk about this. It has a year written on it, and they tell you to choose the year of your projected retirement and put your money in that, or potentially put your money in that. They're, they're normally done in five-year increments. Right. So, so if you were to look at your plan right now, you might see a 2025, 2030, 2035, etc. And Scott, you're right. It was done a lot for simplicity. When people would look at their investment choices and not know what in the world to invest in, they felt like this kind of simplified things. And mm-hmm. And Jesse's question is, does it hinder my potential return? And I want to talk about that in a forward-looking manner. But first, I'd actually like to, to dial the calendar back a little bit and okay. let's go back to before interest rates rose. You know, people would go to the target date fund and feel like I'm in a quote unquote safe place to invest my money because it's based on my timeline and therefore my risk level. But Scott, the problem with that, that a lot of people didn't understand at that point 
is, you know, the balance between stocks and bonds in any of these particular holdings, the closer you get to the date on that target date fund, the more bond allocation there's going to be. And prior to the interest rate changes, people felt like bonds were a safe place to go. But as interest rates rise, bonds sit on the opposite end of the seesaw. So as, as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So there were people sitting in these target date funds who thought they were safe and doing what they were supposed to do. And they kind of got their clocks cleaned yeah. on the, the bond allocation in there. And so, Jesse, I would say, could it hinder you? Yes, it could. It's important to understand what's under the hood yeah. and what's going on, like what could impact what's under the hood in those particular uh, uh, sub-accounts. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because it's it, we talked about the simplicity of it, and it's really built to kind of click it and forget it, just to put it on autopilot. Right, but right. that's kind of the exact opposite of what's going on under the hood of most of these target date funds, right? Because if you if you're generally in an all equity fund, you're going to be in all equity until you decide to change things. Right. But in a target date fund, it's going to be put on what we would call a glide path, mm-hmm. which is going to which is going to change the allocation the closer you get to that projected retirement date to be more in fixed income and less in equity. Because the idea, as Janet has rightly pointed out, it's not always the the true uh, return of this, but the idea is the fixed income component is the quote unquote more conservative portion of the portfolio. But that is so you have to know that your allocation between stocks and bonds is going to go farther towards the bonds as you get closer to that retirement date. Now, Jesse doesn't tell us how old uh, he and quite frankly, he or she, she is. I, I, I would have leaned towards she the <laughs> way it's spelled. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. So, uh, but they, we don't know how old they are, but certainly picking a, a, a date far out in the future would give you more equity exposure. It's hard to say, and you can't say for sure whether the return potential would be better in something else, but it's perfectly okay to be in a target date fund, but you have to know what's going on and whether it's appropriate for you. Well, and and I would even think about the Scott, our buckets of money approach type thing mm-hmm. that if we're talking about all in in a target date fund, then I, I cringe at that, yeah. honestly, even not knowing you know what you have specifically, I would cringe at that because when you, when you are approaching retirement, and again, we don't know Jesse's age, but when you're approaching retirement, in terms of your investments, that's not a stop sign. Uh, a lot of people think about, you know, I've got to go ultra, ultra, ultra conservative with all of my investments because I'm about to retire. Yeah, but some of that money you're not going to need for 20 or 30 years. And so some of those dollars still need to be in growth mode, if you will. So I, I definitely would not be all in. And I think that that lends itself to really where we ultimately want everybody to be. And that is to have a personalized plan. So how do you invest, Jesse, for you and for your future? I think that's key. I think it's uh, it's interesting for me to point out, too, when we think about the, the uh, money that we manage for clients here at GenWealth and we put that into the investment strategy that is built for their retirement income, but they may still be working. And we may actually uh, advise on that 401k. We can't be the advisor on that 401k because we can't make the changes. So we're just offering recommendations is really the way I should put that. But we might make a recommendation for someone who's going to retire a year out to put new dollars into a 2050 or a target date right, fund, right? Because right. you want some volatility uh, in that instance or for that person to, to have some volatility takes advantage of dollar cost averaging. So the date that you're going to retire does not always necessarily need to match the date of that target fund. So the real problem for me, I think, as we wrap up this question, 
The real problem with target date funds is you still need growth in retirement. So you don't want all of your money to start swinging towards fixed income as you retire because you still have to outpace inflation from an income perspective. And the only two asset classes that have historically done that over time are equities and real estate. So if you're all in fixed income, you're not in a place that at least long term historically has outpaced inflation. And whatever your retirement income is going to be, you're going to need it to get larger over the course of your retirement. Another problem, you still need a withdrawal strategy in retirement. If you think about that money shifting towards fixed income, but still having some equity components, and if you're planning to withdraw out of your 401k for your retirement income, you are exposing yourself to sequence risk because Janet's already pointed out a couple of years ago, 2020 or last year, 2022, I'm already into 2024. Did you see that? <laughs> 2022 was the second worst year on record for a 60-40 portfolio. So you think about if you're pulling out as the value is going down, it is going to accelerate the depletion of your assets. But ultimately, and you've already pointed this out, Janet, you still need a plan in retirement. Right, right. And, it, and it has to be, we believe, personalized to you. All right, Jesse, thanks for that. Again, if you have a question for the Get Ready for the Future show, just call or text it in to 501-381-5228 or send us an email, show at getreadyforthefuture.com. So Tommy from Conway called the hotline and left us a message. So we're going to go to Tommy for our next question. Tommy and Conway, age 52, have a 401 from a previous employer. I've been away from that employer about a year and a half at this point. I've just been looking at different things. A little bit nervous about the market right now and been looking at some index annuities. I'm sure you're familiar with them. It doesn't give all the potential, but there's no risk, supposedly. So just kind of looking for do's and don'ts on that, maybe to first find what are, what are other options that could be on the safer side at this point. All right, Tommy, thanks very much for that question. Great question. Uh, he tells us he's 52, so that tells us we don't know when you're planning to retire, Tommy, but we do know it's it's, it's closer than it was yesterday, right? So yeah. we're, get, we're getting into that pre-retirement stage. It's perfectly normal to be nervous about the market. It's perfectly normal to want to go to safety. I think as we discuss the index annuity and investment options, we should start by uh, or with our disclaimer. We, we are not here uh, offering specific investment recommendations on the show. We have to know you. We have to know uh, your story and your plan and what's suitable to you before we can even begin to make an investment recommendation. So, Tom, if you want to have a real in-depth discussion, I would suggest you reach out on the hotline to call and schedule an appointment with an advisor. We have a Conway office right there for you, and you can call toll-free 866 866- 653 plan to set that up 866-653-7526 but we can generally talk about uh, the do's and don'ts as he mentions about the index annuities so let's start Janet with what an index annuity is yeah so let's start with what an index is actually yeah, because yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't even necessarily understand that I was I was talking with another advisor recently uh, he and I go to the same church and we were talking about the S&P 500 and he said, you know, we really probably ought to call it the S&P 7 with 493 others, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because people don't really understand how that works. So mm-hmm. so the S&P 500 as one of the indexes that is out there, the S&P 500 is the 500 largest companies in the, in the country. Uh, and what what we're talking about there is their capitalization. So 
So those 500 companies, when we talk about the S&P 500 being up or down, it's based on what those 500 companies are doing. It doesn't have anything to do with any other companies. And frankly, Scott, it is very weighted. Uh, And so really, there's a lot of movement with, I'll just say the top 10, we'll round it off there, with the top 10 companies. And the other 490 don't have a whole lot to do with even the movement of the S&P. So it's not as diversified these days as a lot of people would think that it that it probably is so when you're talking about the movement of the index and people say the index but many times they're talking about the S&P 500 uh-huh. uh, but there are other ones as well yeah in fact a lot of times the S&P 500 is referred to as the market we've we've done yes. this on on this yeah. show when we talk about charts and history and all of that because it's a measurement but that's all it is is a it's a measurement it's really never meant to be a, a benchmark a, to weigh your performance individually against but as we talk about the annuity portion of that what an index annuity really is it's an account it's a product, but it's an account that the insurance company offers to credit you based on the performance of that chosen index. So in essence, you're not investing any money actually into the stock market. You are leaving your money with the insurance company, and they are promising you to credit your account based on the performance of the index. And in most index annuities, if the index loses money over time, it protects against any loss. There's and it's going to be a set period of time, right? Like six years or something like that. Yeah, yeah, a term will be will be uh, on that product for sure. If the index gains money over that time, you will be credited a portion of that. It's often a participation rate or it has a cap, one or the other. There's a limit on the upside, as, as Tommy already knew in his question, as he mentioned there. So you can get gains, you can protect against loss. And for someone who is fearful of the market, it might be an option as a component to your overall financial plan. There are also uh, new generation annuities that have been out for about three or four years now that compress that a little bit. They're going to uncap the upside, but they're not going to give you 100% downside protection. So that changes the game a little bit too. Uh, You have the opportunity for more upside if you're willing to take on some of the risk by yourself. And that might come in the form of a 10 or a 20% downside buffer. So you don't get 100% protection against loss. But over the term, let's say six years, if the market is not down more than 20%, you would limit all of your loss. But if it's down more than 20%, you would incur some loss. So there's a lot of different ways that that can get looked at. But I think the thing you have to know about with all annuities is first the surrender period, because mm-hmm. if you do go into an annuity, it is not really a liquid investment because you can get it out. But during the surrender period, you would be penalized if you did. And, and it's fairly common to have a 10 percent free withdrawal mm-hmm. uh, amount so that you can access the that percentage of the account without having any penalty. But if you needed access to more than that, you really want to know before you go into this that you have other dollars set aside that you could access in the event that you need to use them so that you can leave this alone during the period that the term is already set for. Yeah. And so for that surrender period, for that reason, we would never put all of someone's dollars into an annuity because you have to have liquidity Tommy, you may not need it in the next 10 years, but something could happen. You may have an Mm -hmm. emergency, so you would want to keep uh, liquidity involved in your overall plan as well. So you wouldn't want all the money in the annuity. The annuity might be a place for some of your money, but he does mention maybe diversify. And I think that's the, the key here. Do we want you to diversify? Absolutely. You may be nervous about the market. Uh, I think that's perfectly understandable, but I would encourage you to think, are you nervous about the market right now? 
And are you nervous about the market over the next 10 or 15 years? Because there's a difference, right? I think it's perfectly understandable to be nervous about what's going to happen over the next three months. Although, as we just mentioned, the inflation data came in pretty pretty nice. The market is surging. Uh, there's a lot of economic data suggesting we really maybe shouldn't be nervous. But there's a lot of talk out there. With We've been talking about a year and a half about people talking about the potential of recession. You've got unrest in the Middle East. I mean, there's always an mm-hmm. uncertainty around the right now in the market. But I think the point we're trying to make here, Janet, is if you, especially as you enter retirement or even your pre-retirement years, think of your equities still as long-term investments and not an account value number that when it goes down, you feel like you've lost everything. Uh, It makes a difference. Scott, I think you make a a very valid point about, you know, Tommy, the question about what are you nervous about? Is it the right now or is it the longer term? And Scott, I'll tell on both of us uh, on our ages, we're we're right around the same age as Tommy is here. And and you and I have seen posters through our careers as advisors where they show back past the time that you or Tommy or I, any of us were born back past that time for decades they show these posters that will show the crisis du jour, as I like to call them, you know, whatever the crisis of the day was, there was always something that would cause people to be panicked about the market. And so I do think it's important to go, okay, yes, right now, as an example, there's a war in Israel. Yes, that is a concern and we need to pay attention to it. But when has there ever been a time when there wasn't a crisis? And I think it's important to get to a point where, you determine that you're going to invest for the long haul, and that may include some indexed annuities. We're not saying Mm -hmm. that this is a bad play at all. You may need a portion of that to protect some of the assets. It might be a a really good play for you, but it's important to get past that fear as a motivator for your decision because anytime, Scott, that we make an emotional financial decision, it it rarely also happens to be a wise one. <laughs> yes, know? I agree with that. And and I think the antidote to that emotion, taking that off the table, is a written retirement income plan. And that's what we do every day here for our clients at Genwell Financial Advisors, because we're talking about investments. But Janet, really, your retirement is more than just investments. That sounds like a good book title. It sure does. <laughs> it I, does. I think it is just ingrained yeah. in my head. Yeah. Uh, and, and, Tommy, when we were talking through uh, the question that you had, this is really something that kind of hit us. We, we uh, John, my business partner, and I wrote a book a few years ago about your retirement needing to be more than just investments. And there's more, a lot of other things like more dependable, more independent. There's a lot of other factors that your retirement should be more. But one of the keys is that it is more than just investments. And your question, understandably so, is very directed at the investment side of it. And it's a very important part of your retirement. But we have to be able to look at your investments as part of your overall plan. And that looks at things like how much income are you going to to want and need? When do you want and need that income? Is that going to change over the years? There's so many variables that come into play that help determine your investment. So it's really more of a conversation about you first and investments next. Yeah, the the diversification issue is huge. And yeah. I would encourage Tommy to certainly diversify. But how you diversify from our perspective depends on what your plan looks like. The investment strategy is going to be diversified, but in terms of percentages, how much goes here, how much goes there, it's going to be determined by a very definitive retirement income plan that has you in conservative investments that are liquid, that you're using today, but in more growth-oriented investments that you are not going to use for 10 to 15 years. 
Hey, Tommy, we are, uh, we've got some good news for you. Yeah. You have the question of the week this week, mm-hmm. and not only are you going to get one of these lovely little tumblers, if, right. if you're looking online, you can see Scott holding this up, uh, but also we're going to include uh, your Retirement Should Be More book. When we send you the tumbler, you'll get that book as well, because I, I think it'll just be a good little read for you. Yeah. One other uh, comment to put a bow on this conversation Tommy mentions he has a 401k from a previous employer. I'm not sure if that's still in the 401k from the previous employer since he's talking about potentially looking at indexed annuities, which is not likely going to be available inside of that former employer employer plan. But if Tommy does still have that in the 401k and he's no longer with the employer, or if you're listening and you've got a former uh, employer 401k that's just been sitting there, we call them orphaned 401ks, we do want to... Uh, give you the four options that are available to you and to anyone who leaves a job and has uh, 401k dollars left behind, you have the opportunity in most cases, if the new employer will accept a rollover, you can roll the 401k into your new 401k and just keep everything there with your new employer. You can leave it in that old 401k. There's nothing says, well, there are instances, I should say, where the it, after a certain time, the old employer wants you to take it out. But in many cases, you can leave it there for a pretty long period of time. We've seen that with our clients. You can roll it to an IRA, which would take it away from the 401k and bring it to an IRA. It is a non-taxable event to do that. And then you do open up the options that Tommy is considering, like indexed annuities and other things, either self-directed or through the help of a financial advisor and building a plan, or you can cash it out. That's the the last option. And we saved that one for last on purpose because it's the worst option. There's almost (laughs) no reason we would ever advise a client to cash out their 401k because guess what? You're going to be taxed on it. All of it's going to be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. And in Tommy's case, he's 52 So he hasn't reached the golden age of 59 and a half yet either, which means he's going to have a 10% penalty tacked on to that withdrawal. So you're going to pay north of 30%, maybe even higher, depending on his income tax bracket to get that money out. And we wouldn't want that to happen uh, unless you're in dire straits and have no other place to turn. And so those are the four options. I would consult with a financial advisor. We help people all the time work through those decisions. Uh, An advisor can do that for you. All right. uh, Next question is from Alan. He sent in a text. And he writes, 50 years old, contributing 9% to work 401k with 6% salary match. This sounds like a text, doesn't it? He's leaving (laughs) us some verbs. Also currently funding Roth IRA. Would I be better served to lower my 401k contribution to, say, 6% and use that 3% for catch-up contributions towards my Roth IRA? Boy, this is a question we get a lot, Alan. It is a, a very uh, interesting question, and and it is really about tax versus time. I understand the percentages you're laying out there. You're currently contributing 9% and get a 6% salary match, so that's good. If you reduced it down to 6 you're still getting the full employer match. We can check that box and move on. So the 3% for catch-up contributions towards the Roth if you're paying taxes, because that's what would happen, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you no longer contributed the pre-tax money and were taxed on those dollars and then contributed it to your Roth, paying taxes on three percent three percent more income than than current uh, in exchange for tax-free growth over time and tax-free withdrawals in retirement. Now that's a pretty dang good trade-off. Now mm-hmm. Alan is fifty, so this is a no-brainer for young people. Yeah. 
uh, it we do probably need to check a couple other boxes as we get closer to retirement. One one other thing, and we've made some assumptions on these being uh, pre-tax contributions, um, but we're not a hundred percent sure, Alan, if what you're putting into the the four hundred one k is pre or post tax. If you have the opportunity to contribute Roth dollars, then the tax difference is negated here, but the the question then that I would look at is the diversification question because many times inside of a four hundred one k, your your investment choices are going to be limited. I'm not saying that they're bad, just that there aren't as many of them as you would have in the traditional or Roth IRA world. And so that's another possibility to consider is just for the investment choices what you're looking at there. Mm-hmm. And you know his tax bracket is where we would kind of land as you get a little older and in your pre-retirement years, you are typically in your highest earnings years, which means you're typically in your highest tax bracket. And generally, the plans that we do for our clients, there's going to be a step down, maybe not in a full bracket, but certainly in income when someone leaves work. They're Mm -hmm. not usually going to live on 100% of their current income. Sometimes they do, but not often. Well, and consider when you've been contributing to the 401k. So even if you had, you know, the the same net amount, it's not going to be the same gross amount because health insurance and 401k contributions, et cetera. Yeah. So just purely from a tax perspective, you would likely save on taxes if you sent them in pre-tax now versus uh, removing them later because you could possibly be in a lower tax bracket. But doing a little math here, if Alan's asking us to move 3% of his income in for ketchup contributions to his Roth IRA, well, the ketchup contribution is only $1,000. So if 3% is $1,000, then you're not likely in a high tax bracket. Uh, and, and if you don't mind paying the taxes now, mm-hmm. I, I think adding mm-hmm. to a Roth is always a good plan, especially if you don't have a lot of Roth dollars. Yeah, Scott, we have seen so much flexibility for our retirees coming from those Roth accounts. Um, a lot of times, it, if you wind up with excess funds in retirement, we'll kind of set that Roth aside for when something happens. If it is, hey, we need to replace a vehicle or we need to do some repairs or remodeling on the home when we weren't expecting to have to do this, then there's this pool of dollars that when you need $20,000, then it it's $20,000 that you take out and $20,000 that you get because it's not taxable for you at that mm-hmm. point. So it does provide some tremendous opportunities for you in retirement. Thanks again for the question, Alan. And if you've got questions for the Get Ready for the Future show, or one more reminder that you can always call or text them in to 501-381-5228. I'll give you that number one more time. 501-381-5228 to hear your questions answered on the air. You can also send us an email that just needs to go to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Love the questions this week. We've got time for one more before the show is over. And it's from Tara. Open enrollment started for my job last week. We have an HSA option for the first time. Should I lump sum fund it or DCA Thanks. Love the show. Let's talk about real quick what an HSA, health savings account. We've talked about that not too uh, terribly long ago and what that is, but basically just for the listeners, you get a quick definition of that. It is, as the name implies, for health care costs, out-of-pocket health care costs. So what an employer allows you to do in many cases, if you are in a high deductible health insurance plan, you can contribute pre-tax dollars 
just like to the 401k, except it's going to the HSA. It has contribution limits, and we won't, we won't get into all of that right now, but there are contribution limits. But you can put that in, and then you can withdraw it tax-free if it is used for eligible health care cost. So there's components in here that I always go to, Janet, when I first start talking about HSAs with mm-hmm. clients is, when are you going to, I mean, it's the same thing as retirement, right? When are yeah. you going to need those dollars? Because if you're doing this because you have known uh, healthcare costs uh, and your health's not good and you have ongoing expenses that you're going to use those for, then you don't really want to invest it. Mm-hmm. You want it to stay in cash. And in that case, the answer to Tara's question really wouldn't matter. Where you Well, it would matter. You would want to just go ahead and lump some fund it because DCAing is not an advantage to you if you're not right. investing the dollars. But if you're trying to grow uh, your account over time to prepare for healthcare cost in retirement, then I think DCA might be, a, and that's, and we should say what that stands I, I for. Was go just right about, ahead. I was just about to go there. <laughs> yes. So um, DCA is dollar cost averaging, and it's it's the most ridiculously named concept in <laughs> our industry because it doesn't tell you at all what it means. Uh-uh. Um, so let me just kind of walk through the concept. Um, this will this will take us back to the old days here at GenWealth where um, we actually came up with uh, this story. We were explaining this uh, to Tommy on 103.7 The Buzz just to go, hey, here's the concept. And he loved it so much that we kind of made a big deal out of it and kept it all these years. So here's the deal. If you were buying, let's say, cows instead of shares in a mutual fund, Let's say that you're buying cows and your whole purpose is to populate the field. Remember that. Your purpose is to populate the field. Okay. So you have $100. We found some inexpensive cows, by the way, because it makes for really easy math. So we found we've got $100 and we've gone to buy cows and we find out the first month that we go that they are $10 a head. So with our $100, Scott, we get 10 cows. So we put 10 cows out in our field and we go the next month and we're going to add another $100. Well, this time we find out that they are $5 a head. So at $5, we get 20 cows. This is great because now we get more cows. And remember, our purpose was to populate the field. The third month we go and they're $2 a head. This is fabulous news. So we get 50 cows with our $100. This is great. That's cheaper than a quarter pounder by these days, by the way. <laughs> yes. But anyway, the math still works. The concept is still true. So let's pause for a moment in our example. We're now three months in to this example, and we've invested $300, and we have 80 cows because we got 10, then 20, then 50. So we have 80 cows. Those 80 cows are all valued at $2 a piece. So we've put in $300, and we only have a value of 160 This is where people hit the panic button, frankly. But if we're not planning to use this, and I know this is about HSA, but the same concept applies to your retirement. If you're not planning to use it three months in, leave it alone and let's keep buying cows because the purpose was what? To populate the field. So let's go a couple of more months. $100 the next month, they're back to $5 a head. We get another 20 cows. The following month, $100, they're back to $10 a head, we get 10 cows. Now, this is what we would call a flat market in this in this five-month period of time. We've gone from 10 to 5 to 2, back to 5 to 10. People say you can't make money in a flat market. But what happens now is we have 110 cows over this five-month period. They're valued at $10 a piece, so that's an $1,100 value, and we've only invested $500. Now, Dollar cost averaging is not going to guarantee a gain. It's not going to protect you against a loss. But what I want you to understand is the concept that when the price is higher, you get fewer cows or shares of your investment. 
And when the price is lower, you get more. So the concept is that over time, that's going to change the average cost that you're paying for whatever it is that you're investing in. So in most cases, if this is going to be a long-term investment, you don't need it short-term, we would encourage dollar cost averaging. And when you said a $100 cow, I thought that's three ribeyes. Yeah. That's not a whole cow. <laughs> that's true. That's but, absolutely true. And this may go without saying for Tara, because she's if she's thinking about this, she must think that she can handle it. But the thing I think about too, when you're determining whether you're going to lump sum fund it or put mm-hmm. in over a periodic period of time, I, I, I wonder, well, that's got to come out of your check. So- you know, can you pay your bills? Out of your emergency fund or, yeah. we, you know, where is right. this, you know, if, if you're using that here from your check, then what are you, what are you using right. otherwise? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that that would be the determining factor too, if you could even tolerate do or what, mm-hmm. what choices would you have to make to make that lump sum uh, right. contribution into and the may, HSA? Maybe it's coming from a bonus and that might, might be a different conversation. Right. So I hope that helped, uh, Tara. But again, I think that depends on the usages. If you can think about when you're going to use it, lump sum's fine. If you're going to keep it safe and need some of it in the near term, a dollar cost averaging might be a good strategy for uh, dollars you're going to invest and not plan to use until retirement. And I do love the HSA. I I think it's a great opportunity for uh, retirees to have money in uh, in a tax-free withdrawal account that they're going to need for health care in retirement because health care costs are one of the biggest costs they're going to have in their retirement. Blew right through that final bell. So I hope I didn't, <laughs> hope I didn't make you rush. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Scott, I want to talk just a moment about the Gen Wealth difference. We are education-driven, strategy-based, and team-delivered. That education-driven, di- I believe that you've heard that today on the show. I believe that you've heard that for for a long time on the Get Ready for the Future show now, if you would like to get some education about your personal question, all you need to do is reach out to us. You can either text or call us and leave voicemail 501-381-5228, 501-381-5228. We would love to hear your question. And let me reach out, too, to the people who ask a question today. We thank, Thanks to Tara, Al, and Tommy, and Jesse. And if they would like to find more information out, uh, it doesn't even have to be a sit-down appointment in the office. If you want to just talk to advi- an advisor, you can call that toll-free number, 866-653-PLAN, 866-653-7526, and we can set up a phone call uh, to talk with myself or someone else uh, for sure. And again, congratulations uh, to Tommy. Want to want to let you know you need to email us to get that Tumblr, show at getreadyforthefuture.com. We'll send you a Get Ready for the Future show uh, Tumblr. And for everybody else, real quick, I've only got a few seconds left, to get seven steps to financial independence, text the word STEPS to 501-381-5228. Visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash STEPS. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. Again, thanks to our callers. If you want to get a question in before next week's show, you can do it now by calling or texting to 501-381-5228. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor 
advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.